blue line leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grubauer. And Zadorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another episode of Avalanche Talk, Mile High Sports Podcast, where we talk all things Avalanche and some things NHL here and there. Thank you for joining us as we all kind of trek through this year that is 2020. I am your host, JJ Jerez. With me, of course, Arif Dean, coming to us from Detroit. Usually you're here in Colorado. We're uh, doing a nice little Skype meeting here uh, via via uh, yeah Skype, like I said. What an idiot. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, another week, I guess, of quarantine. Uh Things seem to be easing up, but, you know, I came back home, take care of a couple things, visit some family, but we're hanging in there, man. It's already June. We should be in the Stanley Cup final, believe it or not. Yeah, but fortunately for us, there was some news unleashed today that there is phase two. It uh, looks like it is going to be in motion, at least from what we're reading so far. Of course, we're going to touch on that later in the podcast, but you have to start with the elephant in the room at this point, right? I mean, we were going to bring a podcast earlier in the week, but felt it wasn't really appropriate. Well, now it's kind of the time to just, and you know, touch on the racism thing. It is touchy, but, you know, there's a way to talk about it without pushing an agenda, and that's what we're going to try to do here today. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it just seems like the entire world is sort of focusing on this right now. And, you know, for good reason. It's uh, it's for a good cause. It's, uh, you know, nothing else is going on. There's no sports, no activities. And and uh, this is the time to talk about it. Everybody else is doing it. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be as well. Exactly. And that's kind of where I wanted to start is a topic that we touched on the last week. And we kind of forgot to touch on the week before. And that's the Akeem Alou article. Um, you know, and I think that's kind of the issue is the first week, it was such a big deal. A lot of people, you know, tweeted about it and really made their opinions heard the first time it came out. But aside from that, you know, it didn't really cause too much emotion. People kind of pushed it aside, including us. You know, we forgot to talk about it the first week. And uh, in the week that we did talk about it, we just put it at the end of our show, gave it a little mention in the three stars of the week. And that's kind of the in reality, the big problem, right? It just feels like people aren't comfortable to talk about it. I mean, you and I are sitting here trying our hardest to talk about a difficult situation without making people hate us. And that's kind of the the hardest thing about it is just, it's so polar opposite in this country, but it's still a really big problem. And especially as Akeem Lou pointed out in the hockey world. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it kind of sort of feels like uh, this has all come full circle this entire year, this entire season, the 2019-20 NHL year. Um, obviously, it all started back when Don Cherry was fired and let go after God knows how many decades uh, with CBC and Hockey Night and Sportsnet for uh, making racist comments. And, you know, it got to a point where enough is enough. He didn't apologize for it, and it was just overboard. It was just that was that was the the most that they could handle. And then when the Bill Peters story came out with Akeem Alou, you know, one of the one of the coaches that coached the team to the Western Conference Championship 
uh, well, regular season championship last year, was let go at the snap of a finger also because enough is enough. And that's where we are, it seems like, not just in the sports world, but in the world and in this country in general. I mean, all of us saw the video that came out about a week ago with George Floyd in Minneapolis, who was, you know, let's face it, brutally murder, murdered by a police officer, uh, you know, for the color of his skin. And that just seems to be a topic that has become an ongoing issue with this world nowadays. And it all started with these stories with Akeem Alou and with Don Cherry, where the racism has just got to stop and enough is enough. And that Akeem Alou story should have been a lot bigger of a story for us and for the hockey world when it came out. And then even more so when he uh, had the courage to write that article in the Players' Tribune. Uh, but it sucks. I mean, it sucks that we're not giving it the amount of uh, airtime it deserves. It sucks that we missed it a week ago. And hopefully this opens the eyes to hockey fans and to hockey culture in general that we need to be talking more about this. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of the point I was trying to make there is that when the Bill Peters stuff and, you know, this isn't the first we've heard from Akeem Alou. He's definitely come out and spoken up about the racism in the hockey world many times before. And yes, action was taken. Bill Peters was fired, but there, it was a very divisive topic among the NHL. Some people agreed with it. Some people didn't. And uh, in terms of players' reactions and a lot of team reactions, nobody really said anything about it. They just kind of pushed it aside, and that's that's the sad part. And in reality, it, it kind of just makes me open my eyes a little bit as to what the hockey culture really is like. I mean, I've been in it my whole life and perhaps have been blind to it, but it's starting to seem like hockey is the most racist culture, at least definitely up you know in the youth i can't speak for what it's like in the pros but i assume it can't be too much different and i want to get your opinion and of course i want to hear what our listeners have to think if they want to reach out to us on twitter but is hockey the most racist sports culture of all the sports out there i mean especially professional i think what makes hockey the racist the most racist i mean i do agree with that statement in a general sense but i think what really does it is the fact that Hockey players do not speak out. And it's one of those things that we joke around oftentimes and say it's about the logo on the front and not the name on the back. We want to be able to say that, you know, when no player is above the team. And when you see players that have those personalities, like PK Subban, come out and speak out, it's, man, this guy is a cancer to the locker room because all we want to do is talk about the team, focus on the team, the logo on the front. But it's gotten to the point now where. That silence is what's giving off the racism, you know, aside from the fact that perhaps there is some thoughts and ideas and ideologies in hockey and the fact that it's a very predominantly white sport, that racism is very much prevalent. But now by being quiet, by not speaking, it encapsulates this racism and makes it a lot bigger than, you know, it truly is. And uh, that's probably the biggest problem and something that we're starting to see slowly fade with the situation now where it got to the point now where these players can't stay quiet anymore. It took a few days to hear from a Sidney Crosby, to hear from a Connor McDavid, but those statements eventually came out because, let's face it, they had no other choice at this point. Yeah, I agree, uh, 100%. I mean, I think, honestly, though, the NHL and hockey, I accuse of being the most racist, but I also, I'll... I'll the most racist, but I also have to give them credit because I do think the NHL 
and hockey does do a pretty good job of leading that charge of trying to change things. Maybe you'll, you're a bit critical of how they do it, and you know, uh, as Akima Lou pointed out, uh, they give the Black History Month and the and the Pride Month kind of all squeezed into the same one. Um, but I do think they do a pretty good job of trying to lead change. I mean, we saw a lot of players come out right away and speak. And yeah, you say. Like, like you mentioned, they don't want to be a cancer in the locker room. And they're also used to just kind of saying the right thing, right? When you ask a player in the media, you could probably ask a player from each team a similar question if it's after a win, and you'll get a very similar answer, right? They all yeah. know how to say the right thing. They've always done so. So I wanted to get into a little bit of the player reactions. We've seen a handful of them now that it's been about five days since this all began. Uh, you know, Jonathan Taves is probably the one that probably sticks out most in your mind. He's kind of the most vocal so far. Um, but uh, for uh, all the players, are you buying this? To me, it kind of seems like what they're saying is very genuine. And a lot of the things that the players are writing, while they kind of seem similar, they seem very genuine. So, yes, I'm buying it. Uh, are you buying into these players leading the charge and, and making their voices heard on this? I am. And, I mean, the reality is uh, a lot of them do come off as very PR statement types of comments. But... Like us in the podcast world, I mean, you and I just discussed before recording this podcast that a lot of other people recorded, were recording podcasts and were very much okay with addressing the elephant of the room to the fullest extent, giving their opinions, their thoughts, and, and, and having people listen to it and probably become enraged one way or another, take this side or that side. Me personally, you personally right now, we don't want to go down that route. We want to keep it a little bit more neutral and just sort of give our light opinions. And a lot of players sort of feel that way as well right now. They don't want to overstep and say too much, if that makes sense, which rightfully or wrongfully so is, is a personality thing. But then you'll see the players like Jonathan Taves who came out and straight up addressed the elephant in the room, mentioned Black Lives Matter, mentioned white supremacy, mentioned... Uh, police brutality. Zach Smith was actually the first one, a lower grade, third, fourth liner on the Chicago Blackhawks. He was very open about his statement. Tom Wilson was very open about his statement. P.K. Subban, understandably so, was open about his statement. Braden Holtby, Braden Holtby went above and beyond with his. And we've seen Braden Holtby obviously partake in pride parades and be very public about his support for social issues like that. So some players just have the personality where they are very much more than happy to speak out. The biggest issue, obviously, like you said, or like I said earlier, is that they're far and few in between in the NHL world. But I am buying it. I do believe that they truly mean it. I think a lot of players were biting their tongue because of what I mentioned earlier in the sense where in this sport, in this culture, in hockey, we don't talk, we don't give our opinions, we play the game that we're paid to play. And I think right now we're slowly getting away from that. We're slowly seeing that the NHL is okay with having those personalities like the NBA has had for so many years, like the NFL has had for so many years. And it's, it's refreshing. It's nice to see. And there's a lot of change that's going to come, hopefully, from the protests and from the current events in the world today. Um, one of the things that I personally am hoping that also this incites change in regards to is hockey culture. And it's for that reason. It's, you know, like the rest of the world, like this country, enough is enough. And it's it's becoming, you know, it's it's gotten overboard in the country. It's gotten overboard socially. 
and in the sports realm and hockey, it's gotten to the point where we just cannot go back to the way it was before when certain things were okay and, 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 and certain things were swept under the rug. And you have an Akeem Alou who's speaking about them a decade later. That cannot happen anymore. Uh, yeah. And, you know, there was a response from the NHL, kind of to your point. Yep. It happened, but it happened slowly. I think it, just like you're, you're saying, everybody was a little bit cautious, didn't know where exactly they could say, but it took a couple players legitimately being pissed off and making themselves heard, and then suddenly it opened a, a floodgate. For I mean, sure. Boston, the Boston Bruins had a very powerful message in their tweet. Go ahead and check that out if you haven't. Uh, former players like Ben Scrivens came out, had a very po- powerful message. Patrice Bergeron, Jimmy Vesey, a lot of big name, Tyler Sagan, for example, you know, a yep. lot of big name players suddenly found it okay to make themselves heard. And that's kind of where, where I want to get into next is, is it fair to kind of expect that from these players? Yes, they are on a pedestal, but is it their place that they feel like they should have a, a voice in, in situations like these? That's a hard question to answer because I truly believe that they should. If you truly, be, if you truly think something, if you truly believe something in the heart of hearts, then go ahead because... Tyler Sagan, Jonathan Taves, these bigger names players, Patrice Bergeron, they're no different than celebrities. And the people that incite change are the people that have a following, and that's just the reality of it. When somebody like Ashton Kutcher goes out and gives his statements on social media like he has about this and has in the past, Ashton Kutcher was one of the biggest names on Twitter when it first became a thing uh, over a decade ago. People listen. People want to relate to that person. So you're always going to have the stick to sports crowd, the stick to movies crowd. The it's, it's not your job at the Golden Globes to sit there and give a political statement or a social statement. But at the same time, for the most part, people listen and relate with these people. And if you're Tyler Sagan, if you're Brandon Holtby and you truly believe something, hell yeah, man, use that platform. But at the same time, if a player sort of feels more low-key and doesn't want to – the only thing I want is for them to not speak because that's who they are and not because of a culture that holds them back from being able to give those opinions and those thoughts. So it's a hard question to answer because I don't mind if players are, you know, sort of take a step back to an extent. Uh, and I think that extent was breached this past week where it's almost become an expectation where if you're Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby, like, we need to hear from you because you are the biggest name in hockey and kids all around the country that are growing up and are at that point where they're learning are going to look to you for advice. Bingo. And that's why I say yes. It's absolutely uh, right to expect this from these guys because of how much influence they have on the younger generation. Yeah. For us, it's whatever. Nathan McKinnon comes out. Yeah, we, we hear it. But uh, you think back to when you were a kid and if you're looking up to Nathan McKinnon, I mean – you know, when I looked up to players, I would do everything they did, down to the to the, the way yeah. they tied their skates, 100%. the way they wore their gear, the way Patrick Waugh would hop over lines or, you know, stupid rituals. So they see the younger generation sees the guys that they look up to feeling this way. Well, it's going to click something and they're going to want to do their best to be just like their favorite star and, you know, and do the right thing, I guess. Um I do say, you know, it, it seems like the NHL has a lot of power in that sense, and it seems like they're doing a good job with it so far. The NFL definitely has more power, but it, it seems to me like the NHL needs it the most right now. And they need they need the change. Yeah, and it's getting there. And, I mean, we've been seeing this with things in hockey for the last couple of years. We've been seeing those personalities come out. I mean, 
it's going to sound stupid and so small and minuscule compared to what's going on now, but do you remember the outrage when Toronto Maple Leafs had Austin Matthews in the playoffs last year dressing the way he was dressing and making those fashion statements, wearing turtlenecks with suits and, and you know, really doing veering off what's traditional and what's normal. It's These players are showing their personalities. They're okay with using their social media to talk about the games they play and the things they do. And that's so unlike hockey culture, but it's so wrong that we're not allowing these players to speak their mind and do what they want to do and say what they want to say because hockey's been around for over 100 years and we're churning out these personalities that are the exact same every generation. And that's a problem because if you have someone who's like Don Cherry 50 years ago, it may have been more socially accept acceptable, rightfully or wrongfully. But in 2020, you cannot have a kid grow up and say, I grew up watching Saturday night, second inter first intermission, Coach's Corner with Don Cherry every week in 2020 because that kid is going to grow up believing and thinking the things that Don Cherry was believing and thinking. And that's not okay in this world now. Yeah, let, let me tell a quick little story, and I hate making things about me, so I'm going to make this really brief, but anybody probably listening to this has seen my Twitter avatar, right? It's a picture of Jesus with a goalie mask. Nothing crazy, but I've always had that. And the reason I've always had that is because when I was getting into the media world, and especially the hockey media world, I didn't want people to see my face. I have a slightly darker skin tone than most people. I didn't want people to immediately ride me off as somebody who doesn't know their hockey just based off my skin. Now, whether they're actually judging me off that or not is a completely different conversation. But it's the a sad, fact that you had to think the about The sad it. part is that I had to think about it. Correct. And in this situation, a kid like me who's watching the young, these older guys speak out, he's not going to feel that way when it comes his turn, right? It's not just the guys who oh, I, we don't want to influence the younger white generation to be racist. Well, we also want to influence the minority and the more ethnic generations to also have some more confidence to be who they want to be and be exactly who they are, right? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's the thing. It's 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 the fact that it's it's not necessarily if somebody is is, is wronging you. It's the fact that this is a thought that you have to even think about. This is a thought, you know, Kevin Weeks was on a podcast with ESPN earlier this week with Greg Wyshynski, and he was talking about the stories and the things that he had to go through, and you can relate with him. He's a goalie as well, and he was talking about all the things that he had to go through, going to practice, holding his goalie pads, getting pulled over, being told this isn't your car, that's not your equipment, things like that. It's, it's, it's things that you personally have to think about, these stereotypes that I'm not you know, I'm not cut out to be part of this culture. I'm not one that's, I mean, I mean, let's face it. People at this point know about me as well. I'm, I'm Arab. I'm, I'm, I don't want to say Arab American. I'm Arab Canadian. I'm, my parents are from Iraq. I'm first generation born. I'm Muslim and I'm there in the press box too. And who's sitting in the row right above us is, is, is Ryan Clark, an African American journalist that's living the dream. He's working for the athletic. He's one of their best writers. And, and this is that change that's starting to happen. But you, me, I'm sure if we asked Ryan Clark, I don't want to speak on his behalf, and every other person of of minority, of color, probably has had that feeling at one point. Like, do I belong in this sport? There's a culture here and there's a certain there's a certain type of person that fits here and am I that person? 
Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I I started covering the Colorado Rapids, and then I got into the Avalanche, and it was honestly amazing how much more welcome I felt within the Colorado Rapids organization, being in that locker room, being around the press box, than I was uh, with the Avalanche. And I was there before kind of all this change, I feel. And this change that you're mentioning is only recent. It's just now starting to happen. I felt like forever really the only main African-American hockey analyst we had was Anson Carter on NBC. And aside from that, that was it. Now we're starting to see the Kevin Weeks, the Ryan Clarks, the me and you's in the press box. And it's a great change, but it's only just the beginning. Yeah, and I mean, that's the that's that's ultimately the way things are going to change. To incite change, you need to make those steps. The initial step needs to be made and progress needs to be made moving forward. And, you know, we talked a lot about the coronavirus and how we are slowly going to transition back to a normal life. But I think we also understand that the normal life we're going to transition to is not going to be the same normal life we lived in February before all of this. Things are going to be different socially because of this virus in terms of our interactions that were never like this before. I mean, I've made the prediction, I think I've said this before, five, ten years from now, handshakes might not be normal anymore because of what this virus has done. So it's the same thing in race. It's the same thing in what we're dealing with now where we're going to have to find a way to make those steps and you know progress toward a culture where it's more socially acceptable. And these are the first steps and they're big steps, but they should have happened long ago. But, you know, the second best time for something to happen that wasn't, didn't happen already in the past is right now. And it's happening now. And that's a good part. Yeah. Well said. And I think that wraps up our, you know, racism and hockey conversation pretty well. As you mentioned, things are starting to get back to normal. Phase two was, recently released the plans i can't wait to see hockey i know all of our listeners can't wait to see hockey and i can't wait to bet on hockey of course we got to talk about our partners at DraftKings. yeah for sure and i mean there you know there's a lot of things that we're waiting for the nba was announcing some dates the mlb might do some sort of weird thing where they play 40 50 60 games who knows hockey's coming back that's great but something that's kind of been around the first person to sort of dip into let's bring sports back to the world was Dana White and the UFC. And that's a cool thing. UFC 249 was really exciting. We've watched that about a month ago. Uh, but this Saturday, UFC 250 is starting off the June sports calendar with a bang. Uh, the fighters are eager to get back in the octagon and DraftKings and Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action with a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. UFC 250, obviously, uh, if you're not familiar with it, it will be this Saturday, 10 o'clock Eastern Time. Amanda Nunes and Felicia, Felicia Spencer are going to be your main event fighters. I'm excited to watch it. I'm happy that I'm here in Detroit. I get to watch it with my friends and my family. Uh, but, you know, back to this. Thank you. If you think you know who's going to win the big fight this weekend, put your money where your mouth is. I personally have my opinion and place a bet on the winner of the fight with DraftKings Sportsbook. If you haven't tried, and get, tried it yet, betting on MMA is easy. You pick a fighter, each matchup, parlay fights within the card, and even bet on which round the fight will end and how it will end. So for degenerates like you and me, this gives us tons of options, man. And for a limited time, DraftKings Sportsbook has a no-brainer of a promotion. They're offering 5-1 to one odds on Nunes, who is heavily favored. Normally, a $10 bet on a fighter of Nunes's caliber would only net you about $2. But for a limited time, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering $10 to win 50 Download the top-ranked uh, DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code MHS when you sign up. MHS for Mile High Sports. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. 
On top of that, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering no-brainer odds on Nunes winning the big fight this weekend. Bet 10 to win 50. And that's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's money in your pocket, man. That's almost an entire stimulus check. Don't forget, enter code MHLS and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You got to be 21 or older, and it's Colorado only. Bonus comprised of first deposit bonus and first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And that is true about DraftKings. I love the way they do those extra little bonuses like that. And they give you, they tweak their odds just to make your payouts better. And, you know, they, they somehow, you'll lose bets and you'll come back and you'll have more money than you thought you did. They just have such a great way of just being creative and keeping you engaged. You know, it's not just some betting site that just wants to take your money when, when you get it wrong. These guys just want to keep you entertained and, and just keep a, an excellent product. I mean, I, I know I'm dragging this on and talking about this longer, but this really does excite me. I, you guys know that when you're watching games now, you'll see a little DraftKings ad at the bottom giving you live odds or giving you what's a, what's a great bet you could take right now. I mean, DraftKings is really doing it right. So if you haven't signed up with them already, absolutely do so. Time to get into phase two, Arif. Let's Time to talk it. about some hockey. Yeah. Um, plans rolled out. Mainly, uh, biggest takeaway, I guess, is that it's beginning June 8th is the plan so far. Correct. Um, this upcoming it's, Monday. It's optional, which is something that stood out to me. Uh, of course, you know, players in their head are going to hold each other accountable and and hold themselves accountable. They're not going to say, oh, I'm going to let my team down and take my sweet time getting back to play. So I think that was the first thing that stood out to me with these new, I, uh, I guess, uh, points that came out with uh, Phase 2 today. Yeah, so your optional Phase 2 is ultimately what's the equivalent of a captain skate, which usually happens in early September before training camp optional you put that in quotations but it's ultimately you know borderline you know at this point not necessarily voluntary but it's something you're kind of expected to go to uh unless you're matt duchene in 2017 and there's some trade stuff going on but we won't bark up that tree uh yeah <laughs> but obviously the virus does play a big factor in this there's a lot of players that are out of town right now and it's sort of if they're in Canada, if they're in America, going back to Canadian cities, which obviously won't be the case for Avalanche players. But, you know, there might be some players that are going to take advantage of that voluntary thing just because it might not make sense for them to travel yet. And for two reasons. Number one, it's obviously still hectic right now with this virus. We don't really know what's going on. We're finding out more details about it each and every day. And number two... Let's face it, the NHL plans are still tentative. There's still a lot more to be negotiated. Nothing is set in stone. And uh, and, and, and we just don't know if this is going to happen yet. It's looking good. It's looking great. Phase 2 is a massive step. It starts Monday, like we said. Um, it's one big, gigantic step, but it is exactly that one step. Do you think any players out there are going to have the nuts to just not come if they want if they don't feel like they are safe or if they feel like, you know, there's anything they still don't feel comfortable with. Do you think there's anybody that would have that kind of gumption to just 
say, hey, screw you guys, I'm not coming? For phase two, absolutely. I think it's going to be a lot of people because of the details and the reasons that are making them not want to do this and you know, for them to decide that this is still not safe for me, those have yet to be negotiated. And that involves the hub cities, how they're going to be living, the conditions of, of, of these cities in terms of if their families are going to be around, testing, daily testing, what kind of daily testing, how rigorous is this going to be? So yes, there is a lot of questions to be answered. In phase two, I do think we're going to see a lot of players back out and for good reason. When the main training camp comes around, depending on how the vote goes in terms of the NHLPA, because it will be open to the entire NHLPA in terms of the uh, the decision making and then negotiating from this pace, from this step forward. Uh, at that point, I think it might be a little bit less, if any. But right now, I can see it happen. The biggest issues still have to be worked out, it yeah. seems. And th- that was kind of the big, well, another one of the biggest things I noticed in that release today from the NHL is that it's they still made the point to end it with, we're still continuing to negotiate, the NHL and the NHLPA are. So it still sounds like there's a lot to figure out. Yeah. Again, headed in the right direction. We're getting close, but still... I don't know. I'm not holding my breath. I it, I think it's going to come, but part of me, there's still part of me that says there's too many pissed off people that aren't willing to cooperate right now. So I would uh, definitely agree that there is a lot to be said and a lot to be negotiated and a lot to be decided. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think it's not going to happen. I do think it is going to happen. Um But I think the biggest thing that a lot of us always forget about this is this is not another lockout situation. This isn't a collective bargaining agreement issue. People are pissed off, but we're not, but they're not necessarily pissed off at each other. They're pissed off together. They all want hockey back. The NHL wants it back. The players want it back, but they all want it back under good conditions. But nobody knows what those conditions are. So when the NHL proposes something, the NHLPA isn't necessarily firing back at them. They're playing devil's advocate and trying to figure out what's the safest way for all of us to do this. So, you know, there is a lot of negotiating going on. Thankfully, all these players and these board of uh, governors all have a lot of free time right now, like we all do, because we got nothing else to do. But... I think it will come with time, and I'm very confident, especially with the NBA giving more static dates on when they want to return. Uh, I do see it happening. I just think it's going to take a little bit more time, as usual. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a fair point. I think you you said that well. I like how you said they're pissed off together. So they're all cooperatively trying to figure it out, yep. see how it make it work for everyone. It's not us versus you guys as far as I know. Um, the other big thing I wanted to point out from that plan, that phase two uh, release today was just the fact that the skates that are happening starting June 8th are limited to small groups. Yeah. I mean, six players at a time. Is that going to be a challenge? Do you think that's eventually going to get lifted? That'll, that'll change with time. I mean, you need to start with something small and sort of see what happens, see if there's any reactions to it, if anybody's testing positive from this, and then go from there. In regards to the players, look, man, if you told Ian Cole and Mark Barbario that their ice time is from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m., they're not going to bat an eye. They'll be there. They're going to skate. The next six guys, six in the morning, if you want to put five guys out there, 10 a.m., they'll find a way to make it work. The Avalanche have Family Sports Center. They have the Pepsi Center. They'll find a way to make this work, and I don't think anybody has any issues with it. Pretty sure the Pepsi Center ice is gone. Um, but You are correct. You're, you're, you're right. There's <laughs> plenty of uh, sheets right now in town that aren't being used. 
you know, yeah. that aren't allowed to be open right now. So they'll figure it out, I- I'm sure. Um, as we mentioned, some things still being negotiated. Well, today was also released that some things that were from phase one and the kind of stipulations of the tournament itself were renegotiated and some new rules were tweaked there. Uh, some things that were ultimately decided where home ice was finally established. It's nothing crazy. It's exactly the way it's always been ran in the one game one, game two, game five, five and, and seven. seven. Thank you. Just a little little brain stutter there. Um, but no, nothing crazy there, but it's good to see them actually start to lay out the details, right? That's kind of a finite rule um, and kind of shows me that things are definitely moving in the right direction. Yeah, and I mean, what we've seen is the NHL is willing to budge. That's not something we're used to from collective bargaining agreements, but I mean, the NHL loves the idea of a bracket. The NHL just wants this hockey bracket that we all fill out in the beginning of the playoffs each year and care about for like five minutes to matter more than it does, but it ultimately doesn't. And they really wanted to keep that bracket format, and the players said, doesn't make sense because, again, if you have a Montreal go out there and upset Pittsburgh, that 12th seed of Montreal is going to play the fourth seed in the playoffs instead of the top seed. So obviously that sort of transitions me into what those rule changes are. The first one is a big one to me is that every every single playoff round, uh, well, the first and the second playoff round, will be reseeded based off of standings. So what that means is, if the Avalanche win their round robin and end up first place in the West, they will play the lowest seed in the first round of the playoffs from the teams that advance from the play-in loud. Whether that's the 11th seed, uh, I believe Coyotes, the 12th seed Chicago Blackhawks, whoever it may be, the Avalanche will play that lowest seeded team. Uh, obviously, home ice advantage, like you said, will be as normal. Um, and for some people, than, some people don't realize that that's a big deal. I mean, yeah, because that all that you really get, does is awards who gets the last change, who gets to put people on the ice last, and which is big for coaches. Absolutely, that's huge for the for the for just yeah, exactly matchups and everything like that. So some people might see, oh, who the hell cares? They're playing at a neutral site. Well, that's actually a pretty big deal. And yeah, for sure. And I think the other big thing that came out of this is the series lengths. So we talked about this last time, and I think I made the point that as long as a playoff team wins, as long as the Stanley Cup champion wins 16 playoff games, there won't be an asterisk next to this cup. And the NHL sort of tossed around the idea of having the first and second round be just the best of five. Uh, and the PA fired back. They don't want that. The players don't want to be stuck in this high-pressured situation where it's a five-game series. Play around? Absolutely. You know, you're Montreal. You're just happy to be there to play a play-in round. But once it gets to the first round, you're Tampa Bay. You don't want to have such a small margin for error. If you drop game one and game two, you can still come back. But in a five-game series, you drop game one and game two, you're toast. So that's a big thing as well for me is that there will be reseeding after every round. And at the same time, each series will be a best of seven. And I got to talk about this because we are covering the Avalanche. And that's what our podcast is. It's Avalanche Talk. This is huge for the Avalanche, man. Because it was going to be hard for the Avs to win the Central Division. And if they did not, they would have had to go through Dallas and St. Louis just to get to the third round. Probably have to say hi to Connor McDavid or the Vegas Golden Knights. Now the Avalanche have a chance to play a Vancouver, to play a Minnesota, to play these lower teams and sort of itch their way into the playoffs. They can even have a rematch with a Calgary, play a Winnipeg. And I can't 
say enough how much this is going to favor the Avalanche and how confident I am that they're going to take advantage of that. Yeah, that's pretty pretty big. I feel like we kind of failed to really dive into the details of the tournament last week, and that's probably kind of because we knew that there was still negotiation to take place, but that was the first thing that came to my mind is those first two rounds looked really freaking tough. So yeah. after kind of reviewing it a little deeper, diving um, uh, into it a little more these last couple of days, I think the Avalanche win from this more than any other team. Yeah. This decision and this rule change is, is really going to benefit Colorado more than anybody else, I think. Yeah, and I mean, obviously... Assuming they get out of that round robin. That's the thing, yeah. And even if they don't get out on top, I mean, it's still going to help them knowing that, the, you know, they don't have to play Dallas or St. Louis in the first round or the second round for the most part, depending on what happens in the playoffs. So it's, it's great to see that the NHL was, you know, able to put this in place and not stick to that bracket. Um, and it's going to favor the avalanche heavily. And we're just going to have to see how they respond to that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm just excited for it to get back. And I'm excited you, for us. We're going to have a podcast. Me, we're going to have a podcast where we dive, dive deep into the hypotheticals and, uh, you know, just kind of frame out the way the tournament's going to break down before that, before it Hypo- starts. Hypotheticals sound exciting to me right now, man. I'll take it. Absolutely, absolutely. It was tough talking about the racism, so um, <laughs> glad you guys got through that with us. Um, due to all that conversation and just kind of the energy and the vibes around the world right now, I think it's safe to skip the social media moment of the week and the three stars of the week. Yep. Um, I don't have anything left to talk about hockey-wise or um, racism in the NHL culture-wise either. Do you have anything else for us? I mean, I guess all I should say is, uh, in regards to the sport we cover, hockey is for everyone. And in regards to humanity, I guess the only thing you could say is just be a good person, love everyone, and don't judge anyone based off of the color of their skin, where they're from. You know, especially in this hockey world that we live in, we all love this sport. Let's embrace that together. Let's love one another, and most importantly, let's drop the friggin' puck. <laughs> well said. I did want to end on this last note. I did. Uh, pump them a little bit on my Twitter if you guys saw, but the uh, Shaka Franklin Foundation for Youth, they are the guys I wanted to talk about in place of the three stars of the week. Check them out. They do a lot of great things in the community. It all started with um, a mother and father who lost their child to suicide. Um, you know, So they started getting proactive within their own community, helping out people who can't afford to play hockey to really get their start. I mean, that's the kind of stuff you want. You see it all over Canada. These are the guys doing it here in Colorado. So if you want to directly impact um, the, the lesser fortunate in Colorado, definitely check out the Shock of Franklin Foundation for Youth. Other than that, I like the message that you ended on, Arif. I think that's uh, enough for us today. I just want to end with saying hockey is for everyone.